0: Acts chapter 9. Now, last week, we began Acts chapter 9. If you're new to Calvary, one of the things that we do is we take a book of the Bible and we start at the beginning of the book and we go all the way through the book, kind of explaining as we go. We read and we explain. So uh, we find ourselves this week in Acts chapter 9. We began that last week. Now, as we get into this today, I need to begin with a question. How many of us here today felt or thought that by this time in our life, spiritually speaking, we'd be a little bit more together. We'd have it a little bit more together by this time. Anybody? Okay, so a couple of hands. Uh, how many thought that we would, uh, by this time in our life, not be making so many st- stupid decisions or mistakes? Okay, good, good. Well, if, if, if that's you today, then this is going to be a great Bible study for you because you're going to feel a whole lot better about yourself by the time that we're done today. So you'll want to you'll tune in and... and uh, See where we wind up. We're going to call this "Lessons for Peter and Us." At the top of your outline, I like to start with the dating every week. So Acts chapter one, each week we say began in about thirty A.D. Jesus is raised from the dead. He ascends to heaven. The Holy Spirit is given. The church is birthed, and that's that's in thirty A.D. Now, in that first chapter of Acts, you'll recall that Jesus spoke to his disciples. And he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what we're going to find is that years are going by, and by the time we get to Acts chapter 9, for the most part nobody has left Nobody's left Israel at all to take the gospel anywhere. So we're, that's going to be important for our study. So Acts chapter 9 there on your outline ends about 39 AD. So it's been a good nine years that the church has been going, Jesus has gone back to heaven. And so when we began last week in Acts chapter 9, one of the things that we saw is that there is this man, we know him as Saul originally, but then he he becomes a believer and then he'll be known as Paul, Paul the Apostle. But early in his time he was uh, was a persecutor of the church and did some terrible things and we talked about that But he becomes a believer and he comes to Jerusalem and he wants to meet the rest of the apostles and he wants to share what God's doing in his life. And last week we saw there on your outline, it says when he came to Jerusalem he tried to join the disciples but they were all afraid of him and not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And last week we talked about this how Peter didn't believe that Paul had actually become a believer. He he didn't believe him. He didn't trust him. And Paul, or, and Peter wanted to completely write off Paul, Saul, early on, and he would have completely written him off except for Barnabas. And so I want you to just write this down as we begin today that God used the one that Peter was ready to write off. Peter was ready to write off. So you would think that Peter being the leader of the church there in Jerusalem filled with the Holy Spirit, spiritual discernment would, would have embraced that this Saul, now Paul was actually a believer. But he doesn't. It takes Barnabas to bring him to him and ultimately he and, and Paul become great friends. But it's one of those things that, that uh, Peter didn't get right. And we talked about that last week. This week we pick it up in chapter 9 verse 32 time is going on And it says, now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years and he was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. One of the things that we've seen as we've traveled through the book of Acts is that Peter... And the the rest of the guys, they believed and taught that physical healing was just part of the gospel. That Jesus came to do more than just take us to heaven. Uh, If all he does is take us to heaven, that's great. But they believed that that was just part of the gospel. Now the reason they believed that is they only had what you and I would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. So all the way back in the book of Isaiah there on your outline, speaking of Jesus 800 years in the future, it says surely he took our infirmities. And if you were to look that up in a Hebrew dictionary or a little translation, the word just means sicknesses, sicknesses. He took our infirmities, sicknesses, and he carried our sorrows, but we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he, speaking of Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. So in case we miss what's actually being said here, Matthew will clarify and define that for us. So, in Matthew's gospel, it says this When evening came, many who were demon possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and carried our diseases. So, it's important to note that, that in the gospel, God wants to do more than just take us to heaven. So they believe that. And uh, certainly that's why they were bringing people to Peter and, and why people were becoming they were, they were being healed. Verse 36, it says now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha which translated in Greek is Dorcas. Uh, it just means antelope or gazelle. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity which she continually did. And it happened that at that time she fell sick and died. And then they washed her body, and when they had washed her body, they laid her in an upper room. Since since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went and went with them. And he arrived, and they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. It became known to all over Joppa, it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. There on your outline, I have Matthew 10, 7 and 8, you can look it up later, but what you'll see that in Peter's mind the gospel meant preaching the gospel, going to heaven, healing the sick, and raising the dead. And it's all there in in one verse. So you can look that up later. Verse 43 it says and Peter stayed many days in Joppa. So this could be several months at this point. In Joppa with a tanner named Simon. So let me give some perspective here on on the map. So you have uh, the nation of Israel. One of the things that we've said is that the nation of Israel is very small. It's it's literally the size of Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. That's the size of the whole country. In the bottom part of Israel you have Jerusalem. And so Peter makes his way, goes through Lydda and he goes to Joppa which is there on the coast. And uh, that would be modern day Tel Aviv. Now keep in mind there's this town called Caesarea. Caesarea, we would say Caesar's and that's going to be about 30 miles to the north. But Peter is there in Joppa. So Peter is staying, verse 43 it says, with a tanner named Simon. Now in those days a tanner was somebody who would be considered religiously perpetually unclean. If you were a tanner, a tanner was the one who took the skins of animals and turned them into things like clothing or turned them into something that you could use Uh, But but because they were perpetually touching dead things they were considered perpetually religiously unclean. So if you were a tanner you were not allowed to live in the city, you had to live outside the city And so no good religious Jewish person would want to come in contact with you because to touch you would make them ceremonially unclean. And that comes from Leviticus there on your outline. If an animal that you're allowed to eat dies, anyone who touches the carcass will be unclean till evening and anyone who picks up the carcass must wash his clothes and he will be unclean till evening. So so here Peter is, is breaking down some barriers in his life, the Lord's doing that And he's doing something that no good Jewish person would ever do. So he's getting some things wrong, but he's getting some things right. So go ahead and write this down, and it'll become clearer as we go. But Peter's gradually overcoming his prejudices. And so God's breaking down some barriers in his life, which leads us to chapter 10. Now, chapter 10, you want to write down, takes place in about 40 A.D., so it's going to be about 10 years after Jesus has gone back to heaven, the church's birth, uh, things are going on, but it's been about 10 years. And so um, verse, verse 1, and now uh, one other thing I need to say is that we covered this on Easter, so I'm not going to break it down, at least the first part, because we did that on an Easter. I'll read through, make some comments, and we'll go from there. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian Cohort a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being very much alarmed he said, what is it Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa And send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. Uh, The reason I read it like that is because one of the things that we see as we travel through the book of Acts, when God wants to speak, he's always very specific. And we'll talk about that as we go. But on Easter, we took that first part and we mentioned that Cornelius is a Roman officer. He's uh, stationed in Caesarea, we would say Caesar's Town is what it's named after. He's a man of character, he has a reverence for God, he's a giver, he's generous, he's a man of prayer, he points his family to God. There's only one problem with Cornelius, and it's simply that he's lost, he doesn't have Jesus. And so God sends an angel to him to tell him where to go to find somebody who will tell him about Jesus. The angel will not give the gospel. The angel will only point him in the right direction because telling the gospel is our job. So the angel appears and and, and sends him. So the, the other thing that I mentioned on Easter is that one of the things you learn in that is that if somebody is truly seeking God, the real God, God will do everything He has to do to make sure that they're able to connect with Jesus. So He'll make it. Whatever He has to do. So verse seven it says: So the angel, of the Lord, or the angel who was speaking to him had left. He summoned two of his servants, a devout soldier, of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. He sent uh, two of his servants and a devout soldier. So these believe the same way that he believes. Now verse 9 it continues and it says, now on the next day they were on their way, while they were on their way and approaching the city Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Now the sixth hour is going to be noon. That's just uh, right there at noon. And he became hungry. So I have a question, is Peter and I the only people who become (laughs) hungry as soon as they start to pray? Anybody else? Anybody else? So Peter... Uh, He goes up to the roof to pray. Verse 10, he becomes hungry and he was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were all kinds of four-footed animals and now my translation says crawling creatures. How many of your Bibles say reptiles? Good. That's actually the best translation. It's reptiles. Very unkosher. Uh, all kinds of four footed animals, crawling creatures, reptiles of the earth, and birds of the air. And it says, A voice came to him. I've underlined that word voice, came to him. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. I've underlined Lord. For I have never eaten anything unholy and clean. Now, there, there's a couple of things in this if, as uh, we unpack. First of all, can I just point out that in verse 13, Peter hears a voice? The voice speaks to him and Peter responds saying never Lord. The idea is that Peter recognized that voice and you want to write that down. This is Jesus speaking to him. So this is not an angel speaking to him. Peter recognizes the voice. And so here's Peter and Jesus comes to him, gives this vision of the sheet coming down. And, And what I love about this is that Peter is saved Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, but Peter is still Peter. And one of the things you notice about Peter is he's very hesitant with new information. You see that in the Gospels, and now you see that there in in the the book of Acts. And and so what we're going to see is that God's going to use Peter, not because he is perfect, but because he's just willing to grow. So Peter says in verse 14, he says, Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything unholy or clean. You know, I, I've been a good Jewish person my whole life. I would never eat anything like that. Now, when we look at that, we think that Peter's being very self righteous and pious. You know, I would never eat anything unkosher. I'll never have a pork sandwich or lobster and, you know, those things. But um, I read a book, and uh, it's such a great book. If you love to read and you love to think, there's a book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. Now, I don't typically read a paragraph from a book but I'd like to read one paragraph today if I could. Can I read a paragraph today? Well, I'm going to anyway, so you might, you might as well say yes, because I'm going to do it. So it, it adds a little bit of perspective when we tend to think about you know, just unkosher and being pious. He says, surely not, Lord, Peter replies. It's tempting to read Peter's response to self-righteousness. I've never eaten anything impure or clean, he says. He's been a good Jew all his life and not even God can make him compromise his scruples. But perhaps Peter's reaction to the vision is not simply righteous indignation, maybe it's nausea. No doubt Peter would have been disgusted by the very idea of eating the animals presented in the sheet. Restrictions against eating pork and shellfish are legalities for us but for first century Jews they were deeply entrenched dietary cultural mores. The Lord's command might evoke a similar feeling in westerners, that's you and I, if we were confronted with a sheet full of puppies and bats and cockroaches, kill and eat says the Lord. Like Peter we would almost certainly reply, surely not Lord. Do you agree with that? So the things that you know, the, the things the things that we read—puppies and cockroaches and bats—are actually delicacies in other parts of the world. But to you and I, they would be absolutely disgusting. Is the idea? So when Peter sees these animals in the sheet, it's not that he's being so much self-righteous. He's disgusted by what he sees, just as you and I would be if we saw puppies and bats and cockroaches. That makes sense. Yeah. So verse fifteen it says, and a voice came to him again a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Now Peter is going to think that this vision is all about food. <clears throat> we're going to find out that this has a whole lot more implications than just food. Verse 16 this happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So here's what we're going to learn about Peter and you want to write this down. To go forward being used by God before Peter can go any more forward with God Peter will have to let go of his religious traditions. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean on your outline. Now, we laugh at Peter because of his religious traditions. But if we were to go around the room, for those of us who grew up in church, we have a lot of religious traditions that you have a very hard time making a biblical case for. And sometimes for some of us to go forward to be used by the Lord we have to let go of some of our traditions. I won't give the list today, I have another time but maybe another time we'll talk about that. But you know your list. Verse 17 Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision he had seen might be, behold the men who had been sent by Cornelius having asked directions for Simon's house appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon who was also called Peter was staying there. Now while Peter was reflecting on the vision the Spirit said to him, now it's interesting this is not the voice that he heard before, this is now the Holy Spirit speaking to him. The Spirit said to him behold, let me read it like this, behold three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs accompanying them without misgivings. Now why does he have to say without misgivings? We'll talk about that in a few moments. It says, for I have sent them myself. I have sent them myself. So a couple of things that we see in this, and I know we've, we've, we've said this the last couple of weeks but I, I think it bears repeating. But first of all, one of the things that we see throughout the book of Acts, when God wants to say something he always speaks specifically. And you want to write that down. God does not speak in a misty, kind of mystical way. He says to Peter, says, get up, go downstairs, three men are there, go with them, don't have any misgivings. It's very specific. And I, and I say that, and I've said this the last couple of weeks because some of us come from a church background where people will say the Lord is saying, and it's always this very mystical kind of thing. Don't embrace that. When God has something to say he says it very, very clearly. Another thing that we're going to see is that God guides one step at a time. One step at a time. I have there verse 19, but it actually should be verses 19 and 20. I put uh, verse 20. He says, Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And and right now, that's all Peter needs to know. Uh, All that God is going to tell him is that right now, I'm telling you to go with them and do not have any misgivings. God does not tell Peter, Here's how it's going to turn out. Here's some things that are going to happen along the way. He just says, This is your next step. This is what you're to do right now now. That is so important for you and I as believers because for many people, uh, God will say I want you to step out in this area of life. I want you to trust me in this. I want you to go forward in this. And, and, And he gives us the next step. But because he hasn't told us how it's going to work out, how he's going to do it, where we're going to wind up, many people will never take the first step. If you're going to follow the Lord, you have to be willing to take that First step, the next step, even if he doesn't tell you how it's all going to work out. What we find in the book of Acts is that God is continuously using people who are willing to take just the next step, the next step. So keep that in mind as we go. Another thing that we're going to see in this, he tells him to take the next step, but God's purpose will become clearer as he goes. So he's not going to have the full understanding of everything that God is doing, he just knows what he has to do next. Uh, by the time we get to verse 34, I put it there in your outline, Peter, it says Peter began to speak, I really understand now. Peter's going to have a whole lot more clarity, but right now he has to take the step that God is putting before him. So again, this is all he has at this point. He has to go. Another thing that we see in this and very important for us is that when God speaks, God confirms. You want to write that down? When God speaks, God confirms. Typically this is how God operates. When he wants to do something and it involves more than one person, he's typically speaking to everybody involved. And and so here you have in this story, and we saw it last week and we saw it the week before, that God's confirming. Here's the confirmation today. God comes to Cornelius, an angel angel appears, very specific instructions, go find Simon Peter. So God speaks over here, the next day Peter's on the roof and God speaks to him. Somebody's here, they're going to meet you, you go down there and, you meet, and then you go. This is confirmation that God is doing something. The reason that's so important is because sometimes in the church world, at least in my church background, uh, it was common for somebody to walk up and say, the Lord has told me to tell you. And it Anytime that has happened in the last 22 years that I've been here, it's, I, as soon as I hear that, immediately I know this is probably not going to be from the Lord. Because when God is speaking, he speaks to both people. So when somebody says, the Lord has told me to tell you, if God's not telling you that, you don't have to receive that. That's where you say amen, amen. like you mean it. Okay, so not usually a problem here at Calvary, but if you've been around the church block that can be a, a major problem. There in your outline a verse from the Old Testament Deuteronomy, it's quoted throughout the Bible on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses. It'll say every fact would be confirmed. So God always loves to give confirmation if He's speaking. So always keep that in mind. Verse 21 it says, "'But Peter went down to the men, behold I'm the one you're looking for, for what is the reason for which you have come?' And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear a message from you. Some of your, your Bibles will say words from you. I like that translation better, but a message from you. So he invited, him, he invited them in and gave them lodging. Now that's no big deal for you and I, but this is a Jewish man in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. Don't the Romans hate us as Jewish people? These men are all Gentiles. You did not invite Gentiles into your house. But barriers are coming down for Peter. So verse 23, the second part, on the next day he got up and went away with them and some of the men, some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So Peter, as he goes, He's going to take some of the Jewish believers who are there from Joppa to go with him. Whatever God's going to do, he wants to have some witnesses. What I love about this verse, there's something here that we would read and we would miss. But Peter, being Jewish from Israel 2,000 years ago, he wouldn't miss this. Peter's in Joppa. Now, there was a time about 750 years earlier where there was another man of God, In Joppa, I I put the verse there in your outline, and it says, "But Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship, and you know how the rest of the story goes, right? He found a ship. Now, what, what I find so interesting is that Peter knows where he's at. It's very common for Jewish people, Jewish males especially to memorize the entire Old Testament. So he, he would be connecting the dots. We might read over it and miss it. But here on your outline, write this down. Both men, we know they're at Joppa, but both men are believers. You want to write that down. They both believe in the same God. Both were called to share God's heart with the lost. One held to his prejudice and ran. And we know that story the other will re-examine his traditions and went. He'll go. What we find in the church is that some people are like Peter and some people are like Jonah. And Peter knows that years before there was a man who was called to go and do something that would be very uncomfortable for him as a Jewish person. But here's what we find. Anytime we run from what it is that God calls us to do, Satan will always provide just the right ship to help us safely sail away to that situation that swallows us whole, that we can't get ourselves out of, that makes us completely miserable, till we come to the place where we say, Nineveh doesn't sound all that bad right now. And it's at that point that God has that situation spit us up and we get back on the path. Am I the only person who's ever been down that path? Three others, good, we'll go with it, we'll go with it. Verse 24, it says, "...on the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Cornelius is going to call everybody he knows. He knows he's going to hear something from God. He wants everybody to hear it. Now when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I too am just a man. Now some of your Bibles will say that that, uh, Cornelius just fell down before him at his feet, but there on your outline as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped. The word there is proskuneo, proskuneoed him. In the Bible the word worship is from the Greek is always proskuneo. It always means to worship. So Cornelius bows down before him. There in your outline, another way you can say proskuneo can mean to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand, to prostrate oneself in homage, to do reverence, to adore. One of the things that we find is, is that Peter... As a man of God, will never allow anyone to bow down before him. Anytime somebody bows down before an angel in the Bible, the angel always says, Don't do that. I, I am a servant of the Lord just like you are. The only person who allows somebody to bow down before him is Jesus. So you and I live in a religious environment where there are religious leaders where the expectation is that when you come into their presence, you bow down postcuneo before them. Just know that Peter, as the example, would never allow any person to ever bow down before him. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we go on verse 27, it says, and as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. The part that we miss, and we're going to find out how uncomfortable this is, this is probably the first time in Peter's entire life that he has actually gone into a Gentile's house. First time in his whole life. So verse 28, listen to how uncomfortable this is for Peter. And he said to them, "Uh, you yourselves, and he said it just like that by the way, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. Yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That's why I came without even raising any objection. Now wait a minute, didn't the Holy Spirit have to tell him you need to go without hesitation? Why did the Holy Spirit have to say go without hesitation? Because Peter, even though he's been a believer for more than 10 years at this point, he would still be hesitating to go and share this with Gentiles. So this is a big step for him. So verse 29 says, that's why I came without raising any objection for which I, for, uh, when I was sent for. So here, here's my favorite part of the whole verse you want to underline. So I ask um, for, for what reason have you sent for me? Does anybody think that we need to put Peter in the slow group at this point? <laughs> I mean, does anybody not know why Peter's been called to go to this place? Peter's the only person in the universe who doesn't know why he's there. This is so far out of his box. So why did you send for me? I love that. It makes me feel better about me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we're going to stop right there as far as reading through the scriptures. You can read, I want you to read all the way through the end of the chapter because next week we're going to talk about some things, some things that you might find uh, very uncomfortable. I'm going to have fun, but you might be uncomfortable. It's going to be a lot of fun. But part of Cornelius' response, he, you sort of get the sense he's saying, you know, why did we call? We were kind of thinking you were going to tell us why we called for you is going to be the, the, the idea. So although God has spoken to Peter very clearly Peter at this point still has to think this through. He still has to process this. And it's becoming clear as he goes. It's going to become very clear. So we've talked about how when God guides, he guides us one step at a time. But what we see here, and I want you to write this down, is that God grows us one step at a time. So for Peter it was, he was ready to write off Paul the apostle. Didn't want to have anything to do with him. It takes Barnabas to grow him through that. And then he comes to Simon the Tanner's house, which would be repulsive to other Jewish people, but he's growing. And so he takes that step. But then God comes to him and says, hey, you can eat. You don't have to stick with this Old Testament religious dietary law. This is new information for Peter. It's very, very difficult for him to embrace. The Holy Spirit has to say, go without hesitation. Peter goes, and when he walks in, he says, and that's why I came without hesitation. Uh, This was very much outside of his box. So what you see is that God is growing Peter. So write this down. God has taken 13 years to get to prepare Peter for this step. 13 years. Peter, the church has been going for 10 years, but Peter was with Jesus for three years before that. Now the reason, the reason I find that so interesting, why it's so helpful, is that we would look on, as we do, and we'd say, Peter, you should get this by now. I mean, it's been 13 years. I mean, Jesus was the one who said, go in all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples You know, to the remotest parts of the earth. Peter, it's been 13 years. You haven't left Jerusalem at this point. Uh, it took almost nine years to get you to, you know, just to leave the town. You know, so you forget the country. And, and, and so we would look on and say, you know, it, it's, it's really slow, but God is growing Peter. God is very patient with Peter as he's growing. I would look on and say Peter, what's the deal? So if, if you're like me in, in my spiritual growth, I can tell you that there have been things that's taken me years to get. Years. And so when I look at this I realize God gave Peter and Peter's the apostle. So if God's giving Peter a lot of grace in his growing, then certainly maybe I can accept God's grace in my life as I'm growing. Maybe also since God gave so much grace to Peter, you and I look on and say, Peter, you should be way ahead of this by this point. Maybe God's calling me to give some grace to some people who haven't grown as fast and as far as I think they should have by now. So am I the only person who looks at some other people and say, "You should be a lot further by this point," and so it causes me to give a great deal of grace. So maybe that's what the Lord's calling us to do: is to receive some grace for Him, like Peter, keep growing, but recognize that we don't get it all at once. Peter's 13 years old, about 13 years in the Lord at this point. Do you find that interesting today? So we're going to pick this up next week at this place and go through the rest of the chapter and see some things that maybe we've never seen before. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, as we wrap this up today. We pray that Lord, as we see Peter taking steps, uncomfortable going forward, but still Lord, going forward. We pray that we would be like him as you grow us. Lord, thank you for giving Peter such grace in the things that we look on and say you should have had it by now but Lord help us to receive your grace for the times that we think we should be further along than we are. Lord help us to give grace to the other people around us who maybe sometimes we look on and say you should be further than you are. And Lord help us to represent you as we go forward in all these things. Thank you for this congregation Thank you Lord for their love for you and their love for your word. I pray God that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus name we pray and all God's people said amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.